So we're building a church that serves, and in the first three weeks of this series, it's almost as though Paul has been clearing the ground and, you know, bulldozing away things in the way of this building development, like fear and like shame and suffering. And then having cleared the ground, uh, last week he formed a foundation. He says, you build your church upon the truth, and then you frame it out with the word of God. So now we have a a clear site, we have a platform, we have a sort of stick building framed out, and it's time to put some power into this thing. And we're in chapter 3, verse 1. You might want to have that open in front of you. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Now, that does not look like a verse to do with power, but in the book of Acts, chapters 1 and 2, it says, in the last days, same phrase, So we know we're talking about the same thing. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. And Jesus says, when that occurs, you, the church, will receive power. He's speaking about how the same power that rose him from the dead now lives in a living church and flows through it. However, Paul says, at the same time in these last days, the the age of the spirit, the the age when the church's lights have gone on, in that same time, some people will start to seek a different kind of power. And this is what it looks like in verse 2. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but, underline this, denying its power. So these are all things that people do. These are tactics that people employ to give themselves some power, to generate some sense of human control in this world in which we live. Money. What's it going to cost me to get my own way? You know, just name your price, and then I can be in charge. Uh, Arrogance, literally that means overtopping. Are you willing to push others down so that you come up on top and overpower them? Slander and abuse, uh, these are tactics designed to disempower others. You know, if you don't feel strong enough to engage in debate, just attack someone's reputation instead. Uh, There's disobeying parents, and you could expand that idea to include any authority that God has put over you. Uh, Interestingly, without self-control is a word to do with power as well. It's a double negative. It literally means without powerlessness, uh, without restraint. Brutality. That goes with it. Uh, There's something almost wild about brutality. Uh, Nature, red in tooth and claw. The idea being, I think, that if you get angry enough, you can get your own way. There's something about sort of rage that gives you a sense of power. All of these are tactics that people use to get some power of their own. And people have been hurt by this kind of thing. So there's a simple injunction in verse 5. Avoid. You do not want that kind of power in your church. Now, there's another kind of power we don't want in our church, and that's the furnace in the basement that's just come on and sounds like a dump truck underneath our feet. And in a moment's time, 
uh, someone, uh, one of us, is going to just turn the thermostat down and it's going to go quiet. We will freeze, but you'll also be able to hear the sermon. That'll be nice, won't it? Uh, Robert, would you be so kind as to engage the non-dump truck in the room noise stopping button? Thank you so much. I'm gratefully obliged. The slick production that the internet is seeing, wow, how lovely. Now, you don't want that kind of power in your church. You don't want brutal people, slanderous people, people who are pushing others down, people who are tearing others down. You don't want people power empowering your church. Unfortunately, uh, hey, hey, round of applause, please. Uh, That's so much better, thank you. Uh, Verse 5 also says, People who do these things are really, really difficult to spot. In fact, actually, at first, they look legit. Paul says they have the appearance of godliness. People with people power are good at getting things done. They're used to getting their own way. They're used to being put into positions of power. And so when they come into church, we have a tendency to defer to them and give them even more. And uh, often, instead of avoiding people with people power, We ask them to help us build. They can be increasingly, incredibly difficult to spot until they've wrecked the place. Now, I discovered that there's a phrase in British idiom that we don't have over here. Uh, So this is from the Longman Business Dictionary. Uh, A cowboy builder. Just out of interest, have any of you heard this phrase, cowboy builder? So that's 100% of Americans interviewed so far say no. A cowboy builder is a British idiom for, this is from a dictionary, for a house builder with no proper training or official qualifications who does work of a low standard. And the definition goes on to say, cowboy builders are ruining Britain's historic towns. A a weirdly specific add-on to a dictionary definition, I think, and clearly something touched a nerve with this one. Uh, There's a UK TV show, you can just get this now, thanks to the internet, in season 11, it's that popular, called Cowboy Builders. And the IMDB profile says of the show, these builders find unsuspecting homeowners wanting renovations and take their money before fleeing town, leaving the owner with no money and a construction zone for a home, along with a furnace that sounds like a dump truck. I think that, uh, you know, many of us have fallen for these things, right? How many of us have you've had someone come to our house and fix something, or you've taken a car to some place and they've fixed it, and it, it's uh, been even worse than when they uh, started? I, I spent seven hours on Friday wrestling with the sink at the rectory that had been improperly plumbed. And no one knew about this for many years until I decided to use the shut-off valve, or as it might more correctly be known, the spray-all-around-the-room valve. (laughs) Thank you, builders. A few years ago, we had a problem with the very roof over our heads, and you might be able to tell where the problem was by looking up. And uh, we got a roofing contractor to go up onto the roof, a prominent roofing contractor, and he said... It's going to cost you $35,000 to fix this roof. So, very wisely, the vestry got a second quote, and he said, your roof's fine. The guy who installed it simply forgot one little thing. It'll cost 500 bucks to fix instead. Guess who's coming back to fix the chimney? (laughs) Contractor number two. Paul warns us. We've all fallen for this stuff. We've all suffered from this stuff. And Paul warns us in this passage against building a church, a body, not a building, 
with cowboy builders like that. Cowboy pastors. Don't get someone in who appears to be doing the right thing, but in fact, under the surface, is getting it all wrong. Pastors who pastor with people power instead of the power of God will destroy our church. And remember, you're all pastors in this illustration. This applies to every one of us. Sadly, it's often actually the most vulnerable. It's the least powerful who fall for this. It's the most desperate who fall for a cowboy builder. And Paul says in verse 6, for among them are those who creep, there's a slithery image, creep into households, a sneaky idea, and they capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. I need to say, uh, women are not inherently weak. This is not saying that all women are weak or anything like that. Clearly, there's a backstory here. I am imagining that everybody reading the letter knew the story. We don't know what it was, so we can only speculate. We can imagine. I don't know, maybe there were a couple of, of, of vulnerable widows in the town or someone like that who, who had fallen on difficult times, was vulnerable, and someone without security, and they'd been taken advantage of by a false churchman. A cowboy pastor had ridden into town and taken advantage of them in some way, using people power. So we don't know who these women were, and we don't know what these guys did either. Actually, we know very little. We can only speculate. Here are two things that might have been going on, two tricks that we see all the time, two human power plays or tactics that people use to get some power of their own. Trick number one, antinomianism. Now, that means rule-breaking. And a trick works like this. Hey, there's all this grace right? We believe in, in Jesus, and we believe in, in grace, and, and God sanctifies things that cause shame. Remember the story last week from the plastic toilet brush holder and the Lord's table, that one? You know, God will sanctify anything, right? And, you know, so we don't want to be too legalistic, because if we get too into the rules and we try and be too legalistic, that's kind of like denying the grace of God. And it's kind of like saying that grace doesn't really work. It's too pharisaical. So really, we can just do what we like, can't we, and get away with it. So why don't we demonstrate just how free we really are and go upstairs together and do something rude? That's antinomianism, trick number one. Now, it could be trick number two, which ironically is the complete opposite, and that is legalism. Not rule-breaking, but rule-making. Listen, you've left that old place of shame. You were the toilet brush holder. Now you're the chalice. God has sanctified what once was filthy and riddled in shame. So you now are super holy by the grace of God. And the last thing you want to do as someone holy is now profane God by getting something wrong. So what you need to do now that you're a holy person is work harder and harder and harder to try and keep God on your side. And uh, by the way, if you fail, we need to make sure that we make up for this new sin. And why don't you just give me some money and I'll put in a good word for you and then I'll keep God on your side for you. It was probably one of these two tricks or some weird combination of the two. Some human power play that exaggerates both the grace of God and the holiness of God and uses it to manipulate people. 
with no hint of irony. We don't actually know who was doing what to whom and how and where and why and when or anything like that, but what we do know is that somehow someone was running a con in that town. And as, as if to prove now that anyone can be taken in by one of these tricks and not just the most vulnerable, Paul shifts mood and mode and now gives an illustration of the most powerful figure that there was in the ancient Near East and shows that how even Pharaoh himself was a sucker once. Let's look together, I think, at verse 8. Just as Janus and Jambres, or Janus and Yambres, opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Now, we don't know who Janus and Yambres were either, but a Jewish story gave these names to the fellows that we read about in our first lesson from the book of Exodus. Uh, these are sort of story names that are given to them shorthand for the account, and uh, they're not names to be found in Scripture itself. But in the account from Exodus 7, we discover another kind of power play at work in churches sometimes. Exodus 7. Uh, Aaron casts his staff on the floor, and uh, it turns into a snake. This wooden stick turns into a snake. The idea being that Pharaoh will be so impressed by the power of God to do this miracle in front of his eyes that he will let God's people go. But what Pharaoh does instead, verse 11 says, is that he summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and the magicians of Egypt, and they also did the same by their secret arts. Here's another kind of power. We've moved away now from human tricks and human schemes to get our own way. And this is demonic power. This is something satanic at work, doing counterfeit signs, counterfeit miracles to uh, delude and persuade the people of God to, to move away from the real thing. It is much, much rarer, thankfully, than human power, but it does exist. And in our own world, there are many spiritual people around who, who exercise powers like this. There are those who offer energy work and healings and sort of mystical insights of various kinds. And, and Christians actually are often caught up in some of these strange spiritual practices because they're quite close to things that we do. They look like things that we do. Within a healthy church, there will from time to time be miracles and words of knowledge. The Holy Spirit will empower us to do things and know things that we couldn't otherwise do and know. And so when someone using the power of the enemy does something very similar, Christians are often conned by that and drawn into it. So how do we find out what kind of power flows through our church? How do we find out what kind of power we've put in? Is it human? Is it demonic? Or is it of God, because it would be good, wouldn't it, to know, I think. It'd be helpful that if uh, we didn't have to wait until the faucet burst or the roof collapsed or the furnace turned into a dump truck to discover that we'd filled the church with the paraphernalia of a cowboy pastor. Do me the favor of going back to last week's reading, would you? How do we find out if the pastors are genuine? And remember, you're all pastors. Chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best, and we will, uh, if you come to the adult forum after the service, we can dig in more detail to some of these words. But he says, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. 
Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, underline, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, underline. Two key words there, approved and truth. Approved, it means qualified, tried, tested, and legit. And the truth, of course, is the gospel of Jesus Christ as found in the word of Scripture alone. That he was born for you, that he died for you, that he rose for you, and he now presents you as righteous before God by his sacrifice, not by your own works. A qualified, godly builder will always build the church with the word of truth. Always. That's how you tell if the work is genuine and if the power is of God. So ask yourself, as you walk around this church, or maybe you're from a different church and you're visiting today, ask yourself, is the word open in my church? Is it always open? At all of these meetings we go to, whenever the people gather, are we gathered under this or are we gathered under something else? Ask as well, is the truth proclaimed? Is the good news of Jesus Christ talked about all of the time? Is it lived out? Is it seen? Is it understood? Is it enjoyed? Is this the kind of church that you can come into and fail and find grace? Is it the kind of church where you don't have to be ashamed anymore because you've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, and if you've goofed up this week, come and get washed clean again? Or it is a pharisaical church where you get lectured and hectored into doing what some person wants instead? Our human desires, sins, placed under the authority of Scripture, or are there some clever twisted words to try and make what wrong, is wrong suddenly seem okay? And are human failings placed under grace as well? Are people sanctified? And are people so sanctified that they're able to admit that they're not very sanctified? Is that the kind of church that you have built? Look at these dudes in verse 8. And look at the same two key words suddenly appear. We're in chapter 3, verse 8 now. The uh, cowboy pastors oppose the truth. See that? Instead of appropriately using the word of truth, they're opposing it instead. And therefore are disqualified regarding the faith. Disqualified is actually the negative version of the same word approved. Just as in English we have unapproved and approved, or we have qualified, disqualified. It's, it's the negative version of the same word. They've not been qualified, these cowboy pastors. They've not been authenticated as legit because they are not preaching the word of truth. That's how you tell who they are. In the end, they'll be found out. Either because your building springs a leak, or preferably because we are so founded upon the word of truth that the minute a charlatan rides into town, it is incredibly obvious to us what they are up to. We are so steeped in the truth that we all know a lie when we see it. So, how do you get more into the word of truth? How do you get into it more? Well, a good builder does an apprenticeship first. And once you've done your apprenticeship, you get one. Right? If you're new to the truth, I commend that you get someone older in the truth in your life. Form a close, personal Christian bond with an older brother or sister in the truth. 
And if you are older in the truth, if you have become a master craftsman or craftsman woman who appropriately handles the Word of God, then share it. Take someone under your wing. And this isn't even necessarily an age thing. I mean, of course, obviously, the older you are, the longer you've had to walk in the truth. But actually, our most mature member might be in their teens, for all I know. It's not about uh, age as such, but more about maturity. And this is the power dynamic of a healthy church. The power dynamic of a healthy church is that older believers will always come alongside younger believers and shepherd them in the truth and show them what God has done for them. And of course, as they do it, how are they going to do it? But with gentleness and with kindness and with patience and with peace and with grace, it's going to be obvious the kind of person that they are. God's power flows in wonderful ways. Now, a few weeks ago, I shared a story of an older pastor who had done this to me. Someone had miagged me and kind of helped me a little bit along the way. And uh, this is an older pastor. I, I did not know him terribly well, but I'd met him at a funeral in this church, and he took me out for a coffee one morning. And at that coffee, I, I shared with you that he shared with me a level of vulnerability and kindness and grace that I had never seen before, admitting his failings over and over again, showing me how God had walked with him through the most difficult days. And instead of me wanting to show off and, you know, do what pastors do when they get together and talk about how great they are, I found myself just disarmed and able to confess my fears. I'd never seen anything like this before. And we correspond from time to time, but not very often, me and this uh, gentleman called Fielder. But I wanted to share the story uh, of Fielder Israel, uh, just so that uh, I could let you know how one tiny piece of uh, intergenerational ministry had impacted me, and uh, what spiritual relationships can be like when they're formed across generational boundaries. Um, Of course, I never guessed what God would do with a story like that. Turns out, Reverend Fielder Israel's church had been cancelled that morning for the first time in history due to an outbreak of COVID-19. And so sitting at home on Sunday morning for the first time in his life, uh, his wife said to him, what are we going to do? How are we going to go to church? Why don't we check out that little church in Pennsylvania we went to once and see if they have an internet church service that we could maybe watch instead? (laughs) And so uh, guess what we do? Good morning, the internets. And uh, it just so happened that he tuned into our church for the first time in his life when he was, in fact, the main extended sermon illustration of the day by name uh, of a pastor who pastors with the power of God and gentleness and vulnerability and grace and truth. And uh, of course, I'd never told this story before either. He'd never watched here. I'd never spoken about him before. And to think, you know, he could have missed that by a week. You know, if he'd tuned in the week before or after, he never would have known. How could he have known? And so he emailed me while I was still on the air, and uh, he told me how encouraged he was, not by my story, because he's still teaching me, uh, but uh, by the power of God to put all of these crazy moving parts into, into place all at once. And not just to put all these crazy moving parts into place all at once, but by by how ridiculously meticulous God's personal care is for his children, that he would do such a thing like that for him. God's power is amazing. 
What are the chances? One last thought for you. What if you've sat through this sermon and you've squirmed because you've done all these bad things? You know, you go through that list, all that that, uh, that Kirsten read out, that long list in verse 2 and so on, and you're like, crumbs, this looks like a bingo card of my life. You know, check, 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 check. Meet, 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 me also, Groundhog Day, you know. Yeah, what if, what if you, that's you? Uh, what if you've done bad things? Uh, guess what, you, you have, all right. Let's be honest, we all have. What if you've done a few human power plays? Or, or worse, what if you've dabbled in some power of the occult, something even worse to try and get your way? Well, if you persist in these things and you do not repent, the church is called to avoid you, shun or excommunicate and get rid before you wreck the place. But the good news is, Christ is not called to avoid you. In his first letter, to his apprentice, this young man, Timothy. Paul writes to him, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. This is morning coffee with Field of Israel. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. There's something uniquely amazing about the power of God. He changes us. He transforms us. He qualifies wholly unsuitable people like us and then places us in a place of honor and gives us grace and gives us truth and then gives us power to share what we know with someone else. The world might be telling you that you need to claw some power for yourself. But of course, Jesus is saying to you that I give my power to you. God is about to do the most powerful thing of all when you surrender to him this morning. So let's do that together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your power. And I thank you that your power is uniquely gentle. I thank you that you're a God with a rod and a staff, a shepherd who is tender towards his own sheep. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that this morning that we would experience a new empowering of the Spirit that has us leave this place feeling lighter, feeling unburdened, feeling cleansed. And Father God, would you build this church up so that many are saved by the grace of your truth alone. In the name of Jesus. Amen.